Welcome listeners to another podcast episode sponsored by the Skillman Church of Christ on the Churches of Christ. And today we have an incredible surprise. This is a blessing, an interview that I'm sure you're going to want to listen to over and over again because this is with the one and only Landon Saunders. Uh, Landon Saunders is a hero uh, to so many of us. He is a spiritual teacher. He is a very well-known speaker. He is also president of Heartbeat Ministries, which is a nonprofit organization that he began uh, 45 years ago that really aims to communicate the gospel uh, to those who would consider themselves not religious or those that aren't a part of any faith community. He is a pioneer. He is a thought leader. Uh, He is, again, like I've said, a a personal hero to so uh, many of us who also share these same passions. And so this is a special interview. Uh, This is really a a -a one-of-a-kind conversation I have with Landon. And we discuss the Church of Christ. We discuss Christology. We discuss the future of the church. We talk about the importance of Christians today being learners of the world. This, again, is an interview you will not want to miss. It's one of a kind. And so without any further ado, this is Interview with Landon Saunders. We got straight to business with this interview after we exchanged pleasantries. I asked him his thoughts on the Churches of Christ, and this was his response. You know, the, the, the phrase, Churches of Christ, I think, as in, in our own tradition, I think that ecclesiology has taken over Christology. I think that if if you're if we're churches of Christ, Jesus said, "The thing I'm building, the gates of hell, will not prevail against, uh, and they won't." I mean, I hold to that for dear life. Yes. Yes. Now. Ecclesiologies will pass away. <laughs> <laughs> true, that's true. <laughs> and uh, and you know, there's there's nothing wrong with local groups mm-hmm. being good for a time, and of course, then of course they're mm-hmm. not good for a time. Uh, so so I think I think that churches of Christ are pretty well positioned right now to take hold of this. Mm. I do think that Christology has slipped pretty precipitously Mm. in the preaching that is going on in churches of Christ. Um, You know, we, our tradition had, we speak where the Bible speaks and are silent where the Bible is silent. And then a kind of expository preaching took over. Mm-hmm. that kind of leveled the text. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we worked through, and that was, that was, that was, a, a pro, that represented some progress in, <laughs> in preaching. Yes. But it feels to me like, and when I talk to Christian people, I talk to ministers, mm-hmm. I don't sense a passion for Christ. Mm. Um, Christ is a text, um, but but I'm not sure that. And so uh, you know, and you would you you would be more in touch. You would know whether that's accurate or not uh, more than I would. The thing, John Mark, that has profoundly changed my life is a look at Jesus. Jesus, the person, the human being, that I tried for a long time to understand what it meant to fall at his feet and say, my Lord and my God. And I pretended to believe that. I pretended to do it, mm-hmm. but it was when my focus shifted a little more to what it means to be a human being, mm-hmm. and that I began to see response to that in the life and teaching of Jesus. 
that that's when I finally reached that place where I fell at his feet and said, my Lord and my God. Um, the immensity and the value of the human being. Um, when, when doctrine and belief supersede that, mm. uh, we're, we're not on a good path. Yes. That the human being's got, mm. got to be sort of central. And so, you know, I think as churches, as a group of churches, that we've got two, we face two monumental issues. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them is we're, we've lost our young. Mm. or we're losing our young. Uh, young people who have been on the pews all their lives are leaving in record numbers. Now, some are becoming parts of other religious traditions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, some who have not left sort of a religious inclination, mm -hmm. but they're not practicing. Mm -hmm. Uh, as they have said to me, I sit in church and feel like I'm wasting my life mm. because nothing is, they don't feel that anything is connecting. Now, if, if churches of Christ want to have a future, they, if you lose your own, your future is bleak. It's true. <laughs> the, the inability of local groups of Christians to connect significantly mm -hmm. with those outside their walls. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as every report we see, a recent post in the Washington Post, mm -hmm. um, that the church membership has now sunk below 50%. Mm. Uh, what was interesting in that article is its beginning point was 1937, which is the year of my birth. Oh. <laughs> so I began looking and I saw that article in terms of my own life on yes. Earth. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. And what, what, has, what has occurred there. Mm -hmm. But I think when we think about our future, if we think about what we can tweak on the inside, mm -hmm. um, that's not working very well. Mm -hmm. You know, we can add praise teams or instruments of music or whatever, yeah. but that's not going to solve these two problems. That we, we, the path forward, we have to find a way to not only attract, but to excite. Yes. Uh, young people are capable of passion. Mm -hmm. And we need a vision that stirs them up and makes them want to go and do. Uh, <laughs> uh, and we have experienced that mm -hmm. in our own lifetime. Mm. Um, you know, as late as the 70s, even probably slightly into the 80s, young people were capable of being really aroused mm -hmm. and excited. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's a little tougher assignment <laughs> these days, but, but it's still, it still can happen. And then, and so that's one issue that, that all of our thinking about the future yes. has got to include in a very significant way. Yes. How yeah. in the world do we have something that appeals to the young? And then that second one, uh, if we can't, if we can't connect and find traction with those outside, where mm. are the people going to come from mm, you're right. that, that yes. populate the church? <laughs> you know? Yes, good point. Yes, yes. And so I, I think at, in thinking about plans for the future, at least the things mm -hmm. that I'm on right now are those are two overriding issues. Yes. I'd like to to ask you more about that as well, kind of some of your what you've seen as far as a vision for the future and and what spiritual communities 
need to do to kind of tackle those two issues that you addressed. And I also came across that Washington Post article and I was struck by the title of less than half of Americans for the first time, 47% of Americans said uh, they now belong to a church, a synagogue, a mosque. Uh, and this is compared to 73% of Americans in 1937. Uh, so since 1937 to 2020, it, it, go, it started at 73% and it's now 47%. And before we talk about the future and some of your vision and dreams about where we are today and where we can go, I'm kind of curious your assessment of how we came to this point, what decisions were made, how, if we were to dissect these years since 1937 to where we are now, where, where have spiritual communities gone wrong? You know, when my family uh, began going to church, and in a serious way, I was 12 or 13 uh, before, that, before that occurred. Um, but the preachers that came through for, you know, the gospel meetings, as we called them then, yes. um, even though they were now this is west virginia so this is not this is a little different from what was happening in southern churches mm -hmm. uh, the southern church was a little bit more introverted a little bit more exclusive mm -hmm. and that had not quite reached west virginia yet interesting as i was growing up <laughs> So even though it was a sort of textual approach to preaching, mm -hmm. there was always a, a, a real connection to life. Wow. And I, could, I can remember that somehow that preaching made me think about how I was living, mm. how I was talking, how I was behaving at school mm -hmm. with my friends and with teachers and things. Um, I somehow we went through then a, a torturous period of sort of debate and division and, you know, all kinds of controversies. Uh, and we split off, splintered in so many, so many different directions. Um, and that went on. And as I was beginning heartbeat, there was still a lot of the residue of that left. Mm. Uh, we faced, you know, Herculean objections and controversies. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the church champions and schools still then had the power to sort of blackball you. Mm. <laughs> you know, uh, you know I, I, there could be a bad article and I could get 10 cancellations just... Oh. Within days. <laughs> now, but that period, we have moved beyond that. Mm -hmm. not, not totally, but we've, we've moved beyond that. Mm -hmm. um, at this point, you know, it feels to me like that churches of Christ more generally know what they don't want to be, but are very unclear about what they want to be. That's profound. That is yeah. profound. Mm -hmm. And I, I, we have been in that period. And, and that mm -hmm. comes from, you know, working with ministers uh, here in New England. Uh, you know, there's a group here that comes to the house two or three times a year. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we've been meeting for a couple of years, uh, trying to look at, look, look at, look at churches. But um, I, I think that group and others that I'm zooming with across the country, they, they, they know what we don't want to be. We don't want to be that exclusive, uh, harsh, mm -hmm. you know, a group that, that we erred too, too far over into yes. for a long time. But when you, or ask a different way, mm -hmm. um, Churches of Christ were never into a catechism. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you know, the catechism belonged to the Catholics and to the Episcopalians and, and others. Uh, and yet, 
we had one of the fiercest catechisms anywhere <laughs> that we went through a period in which you could have awakened any member of the Church of Christ mm -hmm. and said, What's, what is most, what's priorities in our church? And they could have rattled right off. That's true. You know, a plan of worship, a plan of salvation, yes, a, yes. a plan of organization. <laughs> <laughs> you know, who's in and who's out? Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, now, uh, today, if you woke up a mm -hmm. member of the Church of Christ in various places, I think you would get a whole range mm -hmm. of responses. Yes. Now, if... If not, that catechism that we no longer have, if not that, and that wasn't the best one. <laughs> yeah. But if not that, of yeah. our congregations today, mm -hmm. if, if, if they were awakened with the pistol between their eyes yeah. and yeah. said, what's your church about? That they could they could have said now the young people who are leaving the church mm -hmm. uh readily and quickly say that either they don't know or what seems to be the priority of their churches does not connect yeah. with the life they're living and with the friends that they have in the midst mm -hmm. of the world and so I, I i think to summarize that i think clearer about what we don't want to be and less clear about what we do want to be. That is, is, it is the question that we're, that we're wrestling with. I think you nailed it on its head, Landon. And I have, I think you put words to something that we all know to be true. You gave a vocabulary to what we have known all along deep inside. Uh, and I think as you were saying that, I think we all listened and said, I, I knew this exactly. I, I think that churches of Christ in general, and, and this is my spiritual community. I can't speak. This is the, the tribe I'm a part of. I, I can't speak of other groups. I, I'd be curious where they are in the religious climate today. But for a, a person of the church of Christ, I think we don't know who we are. Uh, we, we're, we have a little bit of an identity crisis. I think that there's, we're not hot we're not cold. We're a little bit lukewarm. Right. I think our, our lack of identity have, have, has also created a ch churches where theologically there's people all over the map uh, that are part of the same group, which can be an advantage, but it's not talked about. It's not addressed. And I think it, it, as well, too, during that season, you described where there was fierce debates and there was a, a lot of emphasis placed on the teaching and training of certain uh, dogma and doctrine. You know, I think that was also motivated by who we didn't want to be as, as far as the church down the street or the, we had an, a clear enemy. <laughs> the enemy was maybe that other church or, um, the, you know, the communist or the Marxist, whatever in the fifties and sixties, what that was. But I think today it's, it's a little unclear as well um, who we are, uh, but I think who we don't want to be is, is who the church was 20, 30, 40 years ago. And I think it's put us in a place. Do you have any suggestions as far as churches hoping to, to answer that question in a productive way of how, how can churches and how can individuals who are Christ followers, how can we get greater clarity on who we can and, and should be? That's the, that's the thing that, that I, I I have given a lot of thought. If not that, then what? Yes. Um, you, you know, this is where our hermeneutic becomes pretty significant question. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that we have had and we've labored under a, a hermeneutic or a kind of theology mm -hmm. You know, it stretches theology a little bit mm -hmm. to call what we've had a theology. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, we 
we've, we've had a certain hermeneutic, a certain theology that has focused on things that are most controversial mm-hmm. in the world. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, that when we focus at the beginning on divinity, mm-hmm. on on, on a kind of assumption about miracles and and that sort of thing. Um, you know, that's that's a part of a vital hermeneutic. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about addressing the problems that you just raised about in, within churches of Christ, mm-hmm. then um, I, I think that the genius of Scripture uh, the essence of scripture mm-hmm. is inarguable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is that essence of scripture. I, I think of it as a pilot light yeah. yes. that has been burning through all these centuries. We see it in the, the Hebrew Bible, the story that's told there. Mm-hmm. There's that pilot light. Mm-hmm. Uh, religion that that tries to keep that light burning mm-hmm. uh, is marked with massive failure. Mm. You know, in the Hebrew Bible, <laughs> the failure is just everywhere. Yes. Um, and by the end of the New Testament, you've got most of the churches being threatened to have their candle blown out. <laughs> Jesus comes along. And the pilot light becomes a flame in mm. his life. Yes. I am the light of the world. Mm. The one who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall walk, but shall have the light of life. Um, but then in the pr- progress of the New Testament, uh, you know, it is, it is the mining of that Pilot light, pilot light, that thread that has been there from the beginning, and it's asking what that means. Mm-hmm. Now, and this raises a larger issue that also must be a part of, mm. of the deliberations that we have, yeah. and that is my favorite way of saying it is that Christian people leaders must read the text of the world mm. as profoundly as they read the text of faith. Mm. Uh, I think evidence of that becomes clear when we think about it that way. Uh, I think uh, something that is really underestimated in the life, in the studies of the life of Jesus has been his remarkable knowledge of the world. Yes. Uh, his knowledge of marriage and its laws, mm-hmm. of courts, mm-hmm. of wages, mm-hmm. of employee employer tensions, mm-hmm. uh, and on and on. Just, mm-hmm. and you, you wonder how did he come to know all of that? Yes. yes. And I think we speak of his silent years. Mm. And it feels to me like that during those silent years before he bursts onto the scene with his with his ministry, that part of what he must have been doing was thinking about this world. Mm. You know, he was very clear about his thoughts of religion. Mm-hmm. And those those were very clear and very Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, no one has ever done a critique any better than <laughs> Jesus' critique of religion. That's true. Um, That's true. <laughs> but then he knew so that combining his knowledge of this pilot light, this mm-hmm. thread, this mm-hmm. this key that is found in all of Scripture, uh, and combined with then his knowledge of where the where common people were mm. enabled him to connect with them yes. in ways that huge crowds came out to see him yes. and to hear him. And 
one of my favorite lines out of Mark is that they brought their sick mm. and laid them in the marketplace because they knew Jesus would come by. Wow. Now, churches are not known for that today. And I think Skillman, from what I've learned from Don and from others, is making a real attempt to address that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so when we think about what, what, how, how we're going to respond to this, uh, it is, on the one hand, getting closer in touch mm. with that thread that runs through Scripture. Yes, and being yes. able to distinguish those uber passages yes. from a lot of the other material that's found in the text. Mm. And, and, the, and when, when Jesus was asked about the entirety of the Hebrew Bible, mm -hmm. what's the greatest? Jesus said it's loving God, neighbor. Yes. yes. That, uh, and so that has become mm. for years the lens through which I read the Old Testament. Mm. Mm. Uh, and so all of the passages where God is saying, kill everything, kill every child, kill every kid, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm, I don't focus on that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, as a follower of Jesus, I look at the Old Testament through the lens that Jesus said he looked at it. Beautiful. Which is loving God and neighbor is so. Wow. Now, Paul, in his two most polemical epistles, mm -hmm. Romans and Galatians, mm -hmm. in both of those, he cites that. Mm -hmm. He says in both places, it all comes down to this. Mm. And he leaves even God out of it. He said <laughs> to love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I don't know how you get by with leaving, <laughs> but but it does it does point that this is the genius. This is where the genius is found. Mm -hmm. This is the vital light. This is a thread that runs through all of Scripture. Yes. So I think on the one hand that we have to we have to make that primary to everything we do. Mm -hmm. But then on the other hand, we've got to increase our knowledge of the world. It's interesting. Let's read the text of the world. Or we're not going to make connection between the two. Uh, when you think of, of Paul's work, uh, you know, there was no way in the world that Paul could have connected as he did in his missionary work across cultures. Had he not known those cultures, yes. uh, the, the Stoic philosophy was the prevailing philosophy of his day, mm. but he shows intricate knowledge mm. of that philosophy and even incorporates some of it into his letters, uh, Philippians, you know, being one place that a good deal of Stoic thought shows up. Uh, now, I think the average minister today cannot talk about the prevailing philosophies of the world. Um, we know scripture and we know we, we struggle with ecclesiology. Mm -hmm. But uh, in terms of knowing where the society is right now. Mm. Uh, there's very little information. Uh, we can cite polls, but, um, you know, I'm reading right now Brian Greens, who's one of the leading physicists of the world, uh, because he's looking at a godless approach, mm. but he's looking at the meaning, what it means to be a human being. Uh, I'm terribly interested in, in how he does that without a nod to the transcendent. Interesting. And at the end of the book, he says that science is about the external world. Mm. 
And he admits that there is another element. There is an internal world. Mm. And he closes the book with pointing to something that he says, quote, stirs our souls. <laughs> wow. <laughs> now, if, if I'm addressing a group of outsiders, mm-hmm. uh, it'll, it'll help me to be able to know and even to be able to cite mm. uh, something like that. Of course, Charles Taylor uh, did a phenomenal job at pointing to what's happening in our world. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this is a longer answer than I intended. But, but I think knowledge of the text, mm-hmm. but then we've got to do some really major work Yes. All knowledge of the world to put these two things together. What you're saying is is profound. The the critic in the in the church is gonna say, well, the world is not what you need to be influenced by. Uh, the critic is gonna say, uh, you'll be tainted, you uh, will be influenced in negative ways. How do you address that critic who We'll look at the world as as a, a place not to be involved in, or a, a place that shouldn't influence what happens within this religious community. How do you address that that critique that comes from within? Um, if I could borrow one of Doctor Phil's questions. <laughs> <laughs> His question is, "How's that working for you?" <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I want to ask these critics, you know, how's that working in your church, your view of the world? Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. seems to me like your ch- church is probably dwindling in numbers. So how's that working for you? <laughs> You're losing your own young. How's that working for you? <laughs> you know, maybe there's a problem here. Yes, exactly. I love <laughs> that. that. We should look at. <laughs> and I do think, uh, I do think that, you know, we have, we, we do have a knowledge, a, a view of the world mm-hmm. that is awfully dark. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, think, I, I think it comes from, when I think of the world, I think of the astonishing creation by God. Yes. Um, you know, traveling the world and seeing the extreme variety in human beings, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, and to and and then beyond that, that the emphasis in Scripture that we stumble over, and we with our doomsday, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I hear even pretty respectable people, ministers talking about they're trying to ferret out signs of the end of time you know and that's still i I heard one i stumbled on one on the internet person i know really well uh who was flirting with (laughs) with these ideas and you know is that's that's a that's a thing you know the those eschatological materials are certainly uh in scripture Mm-hmm. But, but what we overlook is that in the Hebrew Bible, mm-hmm. over and over, mm-hmm. it's pointing to the new. Yes, the yes. deserts are going to bloom and they're going to blossom like a rose. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and the dry places are going to become. There's going to be rain. That mm-hmm. you have these glorious prophetic uh, images about the world. This yes. is about. This dooms, doomed world we're talking about. Uh, and then across all of the New Testament writings, you've got the word new. Mm. New and newness, new creatures, new creation, mm-hmm. new heavens and a new earth. I have here on my wall, uh, a friend of mine several years ago found this in an old uh, flea market. And it's got it's in a banged up fra- uh, frame. Uh, parts of the frame is chipped off, so it's not much to look at. <laughs> but then it has written in beautiful script. Nevertheless, according to his promise, 
look, we look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wow. <laughs> now, when I'm talking to the outsiders about the world, mm -hmm. if I start out by telling them how bad they are, mm. how lost they are, mm -hmm. the second night is going to be really much smaller than the first night. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and if I if I give them a, a terribly dark view of the world that mm. they inhabit and that they're trying to be joyful in. Uh, and, and so, again, it is it's mm. what are we doing here? We've got these 66 books. Yes. And yes. what are we lifting out of that? Mm. That is good news. Yes. That's gospel. That's right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> What's the good news here? Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, in in terms of how we how we respond to mm -hmm. the critic mm -hmm. uh, on the nature of the world, um, you know, we're looking for those critics who are sincerely open. Mm -hmm. um, the ones who aren't, we're going to love. You know, I, I love the old Quaker, you know, friend, I love thee, but thou art standing where I'm about to strike. Sometimes we can run into a brother or sister that, that are sort of occupying that dangerous territory. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to write that quote down. That's amazing. <laughs> Brother, I love thee, but you are standing where I'm about to strike. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, Go ahead. But, but I think, I, I think, I think what we're looking for in, in discussions like this, that we need, we need to extend the timeline. Mm -hmm. You know, the things mm -hmm. that I'm working with here right now, I've got at least a generation. I'm looking at mm -hmm. 2050. Mm -hmm. um, that probably should be even more mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. uh, to, 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 to get into a bit more yes. fertile, fruitful mm -hmm. kind of way, mm -hmm. um, this isn't something that be, can be corrected quickly. Yes. Uh, we need to look at, and one of the questions that I'm asking is, mm -hmm. given what we see emerging, even in churches like Churches of Christ, but also mm -hmm. in, across the ecumenical spectrum, mm -hmm. um, well, where does it look like things are heading? Um, so if, if, if you looked at it as an arc that stretches out over a generation uh, and ask where, where, where will churches be in 2050 mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and what would we like for them to be? Mm -hmm. uh, now, if we could be a little clearer about that, mm -hmm. then we come back to the present day mm -hmm. and we start instituting those, yes, those, processes that then eventually will lead us to that to that new place do you in your wisdom and looking at the year 2050 do you have an idea of what a spiritual community could look like uh, and what do you think would be a vision of what that could be mm -hmm. uh you know i, I it's a work in progress for me right now. Uh, I've I've written, uh, I've got a good bit written mm -hmm. on it. Uh, there, it's still sort of notes that are coming to me at, at various times, mm -hmm. and I'm going to pull pull that together because what what I think is that you know I doubt. I, I, I don't have any expectations that I alone mm -hmm. can frame that. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think 
several of us need to be looking at this and we need to bring various points of view into the discussion. Uh, and at best, you know, the things that I'm working on might be, uh, they, they might be a starter, mm-hmm. a starter, a starting point. Yes. And there's value in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's value in saying, this is what I think mm-hmm. things might look like. Um, but we've got some deeply entrenched thinking mm-hmm. uh, about the nature of the world. We've mm-hmm. got some entrenched thinking about certain social issues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do we talk about abortion? How do we talk about mm-hmm. gender issues? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we talk about uh, the hot button of immigration right mm-hmm. now? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, our talk right now is pretty horrible in so many instances on all of those issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's thoughtless. It's based on us and them. Mm-hmm. It's It starts out with condemnation. And these are not easy issues, mm-hmm. but there's a much better way to approach all of this. And if we get to the better way, our, our, our young people will be more interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they've got friendships yes. across race, across all these cultural issues and mm-hmm. people that they care about, mm-hmm. you know, friends they love. And they say they can't bring them to our churches because in many churches they might be condemned. Yes. You know, from, from, from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, and so these deeply entrenched issues are not going to go away mm-hmm. uh, in a day. But if we had a longer range vision mm-hmm. and we know that these are the things we've got to work on mm-hmm. and, and we've got to work on a biblical foundation for them. Yes. You know, it's, it's, we, we can't, we're, we're not looking for political or social science mm-hmm. for the answers for this, mm-hmm. but it's rooted in how we look at a human being and how we approach our own, the sin in our own lives mm-hmm. as, as, and then the, mm-hmm. and then the way, the things we have labeled sin that may Mm-hmm. Maybe better thought of as what happens to the human being yeah. uh, at birth. You know what? What yes. are the? Yes. Um, you know, I, I've I've looked at the research that looks into why a serial killer, mm. and you know, there's some evidence that that the human being can be born with faulty wiring. Wow that can leave a human being more vulnerable Mm. to these kinds of things. Mm. Now, if we knew that Mm. we could, we could have a much better approach to knowing how to deal with people like that, Mm. to, to mitigate Mm -hmm. that faulty, faulty wiring that might be there. Yes. So again, this is knowledge of the world, John Mark, that, 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 if we reverse this downward trend, we're, we're going to have to be greater, more generous of heart mm-hmm. and mind mm-hmm. uh, and not start out thinking the worst. Yes. You know, one of the reasons we love that discussion of Jesus with that Samaritan woman, mm-hmm. she was wrong gender, <laughs> wrong race, wrong religion, <laughs> five husbands. Yes, yes. <laughs> that would make any of us slap our forehead and say, let's see if we can find a better candidate. <laughs> <laughs> and yet Jesus gives his longest theological discourse Amazing. to that woman. I, uh, you mentioned earlier in the call how churches have tend to focus on ecclesiology and have in some ways not emphasized enough Christology. And someone like you, and, and mentioning the woman at the well, what do you think Christ teaches us about what it means to be human? 
this this was the question that changed my life mm. uh, it changed it changed everything and you know in 1969 and 1970 mm -hmm. um, I left this country with all these questions about church mm -hmm. um, and I was headed out uh, I wouldn't have made it had I not discovered a, a different kind of ground to walk on. And during that period of time, um, the first thing that surfaced was human was the human question. the The message that I had uh, excluded almost every everyone that I was seeing mm. in these cultures. Mm. Mm. And I was stricken with the realization and the question, is there something wrong with the way I've been looking at this? Mm. Have I had a gospel that's basically a white gospel? Mm. Did I have a gospel that was basically my own setting mm. from West Virginia and the other places that I lived. Mm. Uh, was I was I attuned to a God that loved the most remote human being in the most different situation as much as God loved me? And that led to my own dark night mm -hmm. of the soul. Um, and I had to give up everything without knowing whether it would ever be replaced. And I, I returned to this country to begin heartbeat with that profound experience. And, and so I was working that out. And, you know, I did a series of lectures on preaching that ACU asked me to do. Mm -hmm. Probably 72, maybe. Mm -hmm. And we're recently been working with those and I've got a person that's looking and working on it a lot to see if there's anything there that we might release. Mm -hmm. But more than lectures on preaching, those represented a cry of the soul. Mm -hmm. These were my, the first time that I had begun to articulate the cry that I had experienced in the years I spent it in Arkansas as minister, and then the time that I was traveling the world. Um, so I, I think, back to your question, I think the, the human being is the only thing that has anything to lose in our world. Nothing else. It's the human being. And that that to see no human being as expendable, to see no human being as excluded, no matter what that human being is or what that human being has done. Mm -hmm. um, this, this is moving back toward a profound love for neighbor, a profound love for the human being uh, created I still believe in God's image. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I understand the humanist points of view, mm -hmm. but I think, I think that properly stated mm -hmm. that the human being in the image of God, and let me talk about what I mean by God, if I were expressing that to my cardiologist, uh, who was an atheist when he started out. We started out our friendship and he's got a little doubt. <laughs> at least, at least right now. He told me recently, he said, okay, I'll give you this. If God is love, then I believe in God. Oh. <laughs> I thought we're making progress here. Grace <laughs> <Well, race> boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so it is, it is a, it is a refocusing mm -hmm. and this is where mm -hmm. Miroslav Wolf mm -hmm. 
you know, his, his book, Exclusion and Embrace, yes. is really the best, it's the best single statement that I've seen mm-hmm. about how to regard the other. And then he's got one of his books is on human flourishing. Mm. And uh, so we are, I'm pressing him to, because uh, the thing that I think we haven't done is what does a human being look like mm-hmm. that emerges in the life of Jesus? What's that look like? Yes. That, and so Miroslav said, I'll take a stab at it. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll see. I work on it all the time. It's not easy. <laughs> it's you know, this is this is just. You know, I keep thinking I'm making progress, and then I think. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh, I'm not, but 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 I do think, and so therefore, I think that there is an anthropological dimension to our message and to our theology. Mm-hmm. That is really, really critical. We have labored under a theological anthropology. Mm. And I've shifted to an anthropological theology. Wow. That you, to start, to start with God. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, (laughs) none of us can get our heads around that. Exactly. But to start with the human being and then go in that direction yes. is, 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 more, is more productive. Well, Skillman listeners, this concludes this monumental interview with the one and only Landon Saunders. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this incredible interview. This was 50 minutes of pure magic, depth, and rich wisdom. And if you, if you enjoyed this episode please feel free to pass it on, to share it with anyone who might find value in this discussion because I believe this is a word that needs to be shared. And if you can, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast because there are more conversations on their way just like this. But to close today, please know that you are loved. All of you is loved by God. Have a great rest of the day and go in peace, my sisters and brothers. Take care.